she didn't say if you play a kazoo or something like that, you could uh, help. So my understanding is, you know, if, if with the guitar, if you, if you know three chords, you can play any song that's ever been written, even Beethoven's Ninth. So I um, don't know if that's true or not, so it can't be that hard, right? So, um, and the great thing about little kids is you truly can be a rock star. It's really true. Um, so we've been looking at the life of Jacob. Last week we looked at Jacob the trickster being tricked by his future father-in-law into working uh, seven years for who he believes he's going to marry, the beautiful Rachel. Uh, he ends up at the end of seven years marrying uh, the not-so-beautiful apparently Leah, and then he works another seven years uh, to, uh, for Rachel. Um, what a mess. Now, uh, let me just say at the outset that um, if you ever wondered whether polygamy was a good idea, this text that we're going to look at today will tell you it's always a bad idea. So in case you're wondering about that. Um, but which may, as we read this story, and we're going to read kind of the aftermath of this text here this morning as well, you may think this has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with you. Uh, because uh, these people are overwhelmed and driven by their desires, just like us. So uh, in light of that, let me pray, and uh, then we'll uh, uh, read uh, the text. Father, we uh, thank you today that uh, you have made us the way you've made us. You've made us with desires, and you've made us with hearts that long for things, and so uh, thank you for that, and at the same time, we ask that you would order our desires and order just the level of our desires uh, so that we would submit them to you and submit our longings uh, to you as well. So bless us today, we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So uh, Genesis 29, verses 31 to 35, uh, text is in the bulletin also up on the screens behind me. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I've borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. Uh, I want to uh, do something that you're never supposed to do, and I'm going to begin this sermon by saying a hated phrase, but I digress. I need to digress for a second before we dig directly into the text, although this connects to the te text in a way, uh, but I want you to bear with me for a second. Um, I don't know about you, but I love horror movies, and, and the thing that I like about horror movies is I just think they're all pretty funny, honestly. 
they're funny. And the thing that I find funny about them is, as I remember as my dad got older, he would sit in his recliner in front of the television at night and he would yell at the TV. And so I thought, that is so funny. You know, why, why does he do that? Well, I found myself yelling at the TV during horror movies, like, don't go into the attic. Don't go in the basement. Turn a light on. Get a flashlight, right? Because it's, it's if you stay on the main floor of these houses in these horror movies, nothing bad ever happens to you. But if you go up to the attic or you go to the basement, you're going to die. And all your friends are going to die. Something terrible is going to happen. Turn the light on so you can see what's going on. Why are you walking around in the dark? The first thing to do, turn the light on. Use a flashlight. Because the, the, and the thing that I, I think about that is people in horror movies need some friends to tell them what they're doing is stupid. As I've read this story and as I've thought about Jacob and Isaac and Rebecca, Leah, Rachel, Esau, I've been really disturbed. So disturbed. And, and I couldn't put my finger on what was so disturbing to me about them until this week. And the thing that dawned on me was, Jacob needs someone, a friend. He needs someone to come and say to him, Rebecca needs someone, Isaac needs someone, Rachel, Leah, Esau, to say, I know you want this really, really badly, but don't do it. You know, the, the, the thing that is also true as we read these texts is we have a blessing. Certainly, we're on this side of the cross. We're on this side of the gospel. We know Jesus. We've seen the promise of God come to fruition. But we have something rich and beautiful and wonderful that Jacob didn't have. And it's the church. Because you see, the church functions as the friends of Jesus, as friends with one another. And so one of the things that I think is so tremendous about this is, is that we live in a day and age where uh, we uh, have, uh, as a part of a congregation, the ability to connect with other people, the ability to have some friends. The problem with our friends and the problem that uh, our definition of friendship is, is that what we believe about friends is half true. What we believe about our best friends are our best friends are the people who are for us no matter what, who stick with us through thick and thin. The Proverbs tells us that there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We all need that. We were made for that. Life is not going to be, well, it's just not going to work for you if you don't have that. But that's only part of the story. Um, and it could be, because it's only part of the story, actually destructive. The Proverbs also says 
that faithful are the wounds of a friend. You know, one of the things that we think is that my friend is my friend because they affirm me in everything. But a friend who never wounds you in the sense that they never say to you, you know, there is something greater, someone greater than your subjective desire. Someone who loves you, someone who is the dearest friend to you, who would say to you, this is not the pathway to life. We need that, right? Jacob, Jacob doesn't, uh, doesn't have that. And so, so for us, I think one of the things that we uh, often forget is that our transformation into uh, fully formed followers of Jesus, people who look more and more like Jesus, true friends are in the business of helping that transformation happen. Now, I didn't mean that, you know, they're nagging you. It doesn't mean that they're on your uh, uh, back all the time about things. But we all need people who love us enough to say, I love you, I will walk through this with you, and what you're doing is wrong. Because if there is an objective friend and an objective truth, sometimes our desires overwhelm us, get so disordered that we miss that. The quintessential uh, uh, friendship uh, in the Old Testament is the friendship between Prince Jonathan, the son of King Saul, the heir apparent to the throne of Israel, and David, the ultimate king, and uh, the shepherd of Israel. They covenanted together, and Jonathan loved David, and David loved Jonathan. And in fact, you know, our understanding of friendship is so misshapen in our day and age. We read about these two men who loved each other, who covenanted to be friends with one another. It makes us uncomfortable. But the fact of the matter is, they were dear to one another. And I think, you know, Jonathan died in battle, uh, uh, and uh, David was bereft of his friend. I wonder what the Bible would be like and what history would have been like if that day David stood on the roof of his palace and he saw the beautiful naked woman taking a bath, if Jonathan had been there to say, go downstairs, don't look anymore, and what you are thinking of will undo you. see, I think we all need that. Uh, and that friends actually end up being a blessing from God to us, in a, in a sense, a place of safety. If your friends only affirm you, get, get you some better friends. If your friends only ever say to you, everything's cool, and never say, you know, have you thought about what God might have for you in this? Get some better friends, right? Jacob could have done with a friend because as we read in this text, uh, he is caught up uh, living day to day in a storm of hormones, 
a storm of desire, a storm of competition, a storm of ungodly, uh, overwhelming need. When we read the text, we read about Leah, and we all identify with her because Leah, whatever the, whatever the text means, she's not attractive to Jacob. And certainly Jacob was tricked into marrying her, and so I'm certain their relationship was fraught. And when it says here that uh, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, that doesn't mean Jacob was actively hating and oppressing her. What it means is that compared to Rachel, Jacob did not really care for Leah. And so here she is, uh, whatever her motives were, whatever her role was in snagging uh, Jacob to begin with, now she has Jacob, and, and what she has in Jacob is a man who prefers her sister over her every day. Every moment of every day, she's reminded of that. God in his mercy and his grace gives her some gifts. And the gifts that, that uh, uh, God gives her as she craves this love and recognition is she gives, him, gives her some babies, baby boys. We read here, right? She conceived and bore a son and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Reuben means look, a son. Who does she want to look? She wants Jacob to look. Look, Jacob, look what I did for you. We keep reading. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. In other words, the Lord's heard. So the Lord is, is being gracious and merciful to Leah, right? And then we read, uh, again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time, my husband will be attached to me. Do you get, see what's going on here, right? And she names him Levi to be attached or joined. And then she conceived again and bore a son. This time I will praise the Lord. She called his name Judah and she ceased bearing. Judah to sing praise or to give thanksgiving. God loves Leah, and he loves her uh, in, a, in, in a way that's greater than she even understands, because what she is doing is not a good thing. It is a natural, normal thing for a married person to want their spouse to love them. To live every day in a loveless marriage is horrible. To live in a marriage where your desire is not only to be loved by your husband, but to experience also children and to be barren is horrible. It's terrible. It's painful. And it is a daily suffering that can be overwhelming. But what's happening with Leah is, Leah isn't having children because uh, she wants to have children to love, and she believes that God is calling her to that. She wants to have children. She is having these children 
to use as a wedge, to use as a tool to make her husband be loving towards her. You know, I, I think, boy, did these boys need to go to counseling someday because as if, if you know, when, when a child comes to you and says, hey, why did you name me this? And you said, well, I named you that because your, your father was paying more attention to your aunt, stepmother, whatever that relationship is there in this family. And so I wanted to have a baby to make him love me. And you're that. I mean, she's taking the gift of a child, right? She has the gift of a child here, the gift of these four boys, and, 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 and she cannot help herself but name them after her own pain and her own overwhelming desire uh, to be loved by her husband. There's nothing wrong. Absolutely. In fact, it is a positive thing to desire children. It is a positive thing to desire and to want the intimate love of your husband. But the fact is, What's happened here is God's being gracious. He's being merciful. He is providing for Leah. But all Leah can see, I mean, I'm sure she loved these boys, and I'm sure she was a great mother. But ultimately, she's like, maybe he'll love me now. Maybe he'll love me now. Maybe he'll love me now. And it's like drinking seawater right? The more you do it, the thirstier you get. So, needless to say, that's kind of a, a rhetorical question there. Is this a happy family? Well, you would think she's got her four boys. Rachel, the beautiful one, you know, she's gotten her comeuppance. Everything's great. Let's read the rest of the story. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. Uh, don't go down those stairs into the basement. Don't go up to the attic, right? So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Jacob became angry with her and said, am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? Not a great answer. For, for, for a couple of reasons. One is, you know, we don't get a sense that Jacob has this deep and abiding uh, devotional life. And so when he uses the name of God, when he, when he says, you know, God's the one that's responsible here, he does it in anger, right? What, what a window into how he's thinking about it. And do you get the sense that Jacob, you know, uh, He's angry with Rachel, the one that he loves. It's just complicated. Anyway, so then she said, here's Bilhah, my servant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me, and I too can build a family through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife. Jacob slept with her, and she became pregnant and bore him a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and given me a son. Because of this, she named him Dan. Rachel's servant, Bilhah, conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister, and I have won. What a, what a, what a 
right? So we're getting a sense here of, you know, what fertility is, uh, uh, is, is being uh, used for here, right? Uh, so she named him Naphtali. Then when Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her servant, Zilpah, and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's serpent, Zilpah, bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, what good fortune. So she named him Gad. Leah's servant, Zilpah, bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, how happy I am. The women will call me happy. So she named him Asher. And then the story really derails. During wheat harvest, Reuben went out into the fields and found some mandrake plants, which he brought to his mother Leah. Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take my son's mandrakes too? Very well, Rachel said. He, that is Jacob, can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. So we had a, a little bit of, uh, I don't know, prostitution going on here, Jacob. I mean, this, this is uh, um, amazing. So when Jacob came in from the fields that evening, hi, honey, hope you had a good day at work. Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he slept with her that night. God listened to Leah, and she became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband. So she named him Issachar. Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Next slide. Then Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time, my husband will treat me with honor because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun. Sometime later, she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and, God, and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, may the Lord add to me another son. So here's the thing that we have to see about this. And what's, what is so profound to me about this is, is that God is being gracious to the, these people. I, I love the, the quotes at the beginning of the bulletin because I, I think this is a great this, uh, quote from Kidner, right? On the human plane, the story demonstrates the craving of human beings for love and recognition, no doubt, and the price of thwarting it. On the divine level, it shows once again the grace of God choosing difficult and unpromising material, <laughs> right? Uh, these people are a mess. They're such a mess. And the thing that is stunning about this is when you read this text and you, you think about this, you know, we hear these names. We've grown up in the church. We read the Bible and we, and we read these names and we think, ah, you know, Judah, Jesus comes from Judah. Levi, the priestly uh, cast Judah, where all the kings come from. And so we think about that and we think about that in such a positive way. But I'm here to tell you that uh, in the moment, without a sense of God's ultimate purpose in this, it, it wasn't such a pretty picture. I love this quote from Ruth, right? May the Lord make the woman, Ruth, who is coming into your house, uh, into Naomi's house, like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. I don't think Rachel and Leah 
we're joined together in this project of let's do this, build this thing up for the house of Israel. They are in the midst of competing. They're in the midst of scrapping for their husband's affection. And the only, only person in the story who brings any kind of grace and purpose and redemption to this is God. God has kept his promise. God has said uh, that to Jacob, when he entered into the land, that he would care for him, that he would be with him, that he would provide for him. And so what has happened is that in the midst of all this grasping, in the midst of all this grabbing, in the midst of all of this, these things that these people are doing to try to get the, the, the desire of their heart, they've forgotten the provision of God. They've forgotten the goodness of God, and they've lost any kind of ability because they're overwhelmed by their desire and overwhelmed by their, uh, their, their need and the sin against them and the sin in them that there is a God who redeems, who can take our uh, disordered and uh, diseased desires and move us into a place where those things get redeemed. And so it is interesting, right? By the time Ruth comes around, by the time that story's around, what we read about Rachel and Leah was, it was a good thing. This was what God did to build up Israel. It was a good thing, but it was only a good thing because God was faithful to his promise in the midst of an unfaithful family. When we were raising our children, you know, uh, families, you know, you go into people's houses and they've always got scripture verses up on the refrigerator and, uh, you know, all the promises of God and that sort of stuff. To give you a window into what our happy family was like, this was our family verse. What causes fights and quarrels among you? <laughs> Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So we read that and we think to spend what we get on our pleasures, oh yeah, we would never do that because we know that that's a, that's a bad thing, right? What, is, what are Leah and Rachel doing with their children? They're using their children as pieces on a chessboard within the system of their family to get the love and care of a husband. So what are we to make of this? Well, first of all, uh, we come as the people of God from a long line of graspers where we hear the promise of God, we see Jesus crucified, our hearts are warmed, we are moved by the power of the gospel, and then we are confronted with our daily life, living with unfulfilled desires, and we think that that cross, that sacrifice, that work of Jesus, that grace of God, that fulfillment of promise, that presence of the Holy Spirit, somehow or other does not seem to me to be comforting, to be close, to be helpful when I'm struggling with an unfulfilled desire. And you know what? It's okay to ask that question. And it's okay to struggle with that. It's okay to go to God and say, God, where are you? 
why aren't you hearing me? Why aren't you responding? Why aren't you giving me this good desire? What's wrong? Help me. What trips us up and what trips us over into very difficult things is where we decide, you know what? We forget that there's a God who loves us. We forget that there's a God who's redeemed us. We forget that there's a gospel. And we make the decision, I'm going to go get what I want. And when we have everyone going to get what they want without any sense of rest and the provision and the love and the promise of God, we have fights and quarrels. We covet and we don't get what we want because what we want is more important than the who who is the giver. This is such a, 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 a great picture of the human condition. And so what are we to do about this? Well, when you are overwhelmed by your desire, in fact, when you are so overwhelmed by your desire that you begin to create an, an identity out of that unfulfilled desire, it has become bigger to you, it's become bigger to us, than the God who is redeeming us. And that is what causes us when we forget that this God is for us, that we'll do anything to get what it is that we want. There's nothing wrong with craving recognition, and there's nothing wrong with craving honor, and there's nothing wrong with craving love. But if we keep grasping after it, seeking it on our own terms, without seeing and resting first and foremost in the God who loves us, who honors us, who has redeemed us, and takes our hurts and our unfulfilled desires to him in that context, if we don't do that, then we will be graspers, we will be fighters, we will be angry, and we will tend to find ourselves in relational situations just like this family where everyone is scrapping simply for themselves. We come now to the Lord's table. We forget often uh, when we come to the Lord's table that it was a fraught night that night when Jesus was betrayed. There was competition for the best seat, competition for the best place, competition to see who would not be the denier and who would not be... Uh, uh, the deceiver who would, um, and betrayer. And yet Jesus, through the midst of that, is clear-eyed in his determination to redeem. For I received from the Lord what I also passed unto you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now let's confess our sins. Almighty God, to know you is life itself and the satisfaction of our most ardent desires. Yet foolishly we have sought our pleasures elsewhere we have given ourselves to the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have run after deadly idols of our own making and forsaken you. We have failed to love you with our whole heart, soul, and mind. 
We have failed to love our neighbors as ourselves, and there is no health in us. Forgive us our sins for the sake of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Renew your bride, your church, as you have redeemed her. Amen. Brothers and sisters, hear these words of encouragement. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and do his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. <clears throat> 